Matthew chapter number 25. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 14. Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin reading at verse 14. Read down to verse number 30. Let me say how thankful I am that you're here today in the house of God. Trust that God is going to move on our hearts today. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them, And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord, this is precious, listen to this. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Isn't it good to know he gave the same answer to the one that brought two as to the one that brought five? Because they had both put in the same effort. Amen. I'm glad we're we're judged by the effort and uh, energy we put in, amen, and not necessarily the the result and the output. I'm glad we're measured by the input, not the output, amen. And the Bible says, verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. You notice we're going to be judged by our words. Amen. He said, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. Then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us be here today in the house of God. Lord, it's not lost on us. What a grand privilege it is to be in this place. Lord, not because of me or because of the people gathered here, but because of your presence in this place. Lord, you've already this morning graced us with your presence. And that's no small thing. So, Lord, help us as we approach this most holy time, as we put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God this morning and allow you to deal with us after your will and your good pleasure. Help us to be obedient hearers and doers of the Word. Help us to receive the Word of God. and May it transform our lives for your glory. Lord, I don't know the heart's condition of any person here, uh, save mine own. But, Lord, I I do pray that if there's any that are lost, they would see that this morning. Lord, uh, when when I saw that, I came to you. And, Lord, I just believe that if they'll see that and believe that, 
that that'd be all it would take for them to then come and in simple faith trust you with their eternal soul and salvation. So I pray you would make real to them that truth today and may you be glorified in all that's said and done. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter number 25 contains a number of different parables. They're often called the parables of the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus is in some ways setting the terms for what the kingdom of heaven would look like during the time of his absence during this church age. I'm glad to know that the kingdom of heaven did not go away. Uh, My uh, primary uh, involvement is not with the kingdom of heaven, it's with the church of the living God. Amen? But I am glad to know there's still a kingdom and there's still a king. And it may not be visible right now or external in the world around us in its force and influence, but I'm glad to know the king, he's still a-ruling and he's still a-reigning and he's coming back one day. Amen? And so the parables of the kingdom of heaven sort of set the criteria and terms of what that kingdom would look like in the king's absence. This particular parable this morning, it really deals on several different levels. We read all the way to the completion of this parable in verse 30. Interesting phrase in verse 30 where it says, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that very much deals with the truth of this passage in regards to peoples and nations. And while I'm not going to preach on it this morning, there is certainly a truth that is contained here in regards to Israel's responsibility regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, They were, uh, the Bible says that the gospel went to the Jew first. And what have they as a nation done with that gospel? And there is certainly a truth that could be applied concerning that this morning. But rather, I want to try, if the Lord will help me, to make application of this passage for your life and my life personally. You see, fundamentally, this passage is about the entrusting of a household. It says in verse number 14, The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. It's about these servants, what they do with the resources of their master in his absence. Number one, we see there is a delegation of responsibilities. The Bible says he delivered unto them his goods. I'm glad to report to you this morning that the Lord has all the resources that we need. And He distributes and delegates them. But understand, it's not just a distribution. It is a delegation. It's not just a resource. It's a responsibility. And those servants were required to serve their master both in His presence and in His absence. Right now, the Lord Jesus, and I know in a sense, He is certainly with us. He'll be with us. He'll never leave us. I'm aware of that. And that is certainly positionally true. Uh, But I know where the Lord is right now. He's seated in heaven making intercession for us. Right now, the king is absent. He's not reigning in this world, the God of this world. The devil's reigning in this world. But you and I, we're not under the world's jurisdiction, uh, but rather we have had some responsibilities that have been delegated to us. So we see the delegation of responsibilities. Then there is a distribution of resources. Verse 15 says, Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now notice this next phrase. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Not everybody gets the same amount of resources. 
Hey, listen, there's certain truths that are just a reality. I'll listen to some of these piano players and singers around here get up and play and sing, and, and I, it ain't fair. I'm just going to tell you. It ain't fair. I don't understand it. I mean, I don't know why God gave them that, and then here I am left with this. Amen? But the Lord is all wise in knowing what He's doing. The Bible says He distributed to every man according to His several ability. It tells me a few things. One, everybody has some ability. Everybody can do something for God. Say, preacher, I don't know if I can do anything with God. Well, let me settle it for you today. You ain't got to pray about it. You ain't got to wonder about it. You can do something for God. Then let me go a step further. Not only can you do something for God, you can do several somethings for God. To every man according to his several ability. And he knew exactly what these servants would be able to do. He was not limiting them in any way. But I'm glad the Master knows what we're able to do. And He has entrusted us with things because He intends to use those things for His glory. There's a delegation of responsibilities. There's a distribution of resources. But then I notice down in verse 19, there is a day of reckoning that's coming. The Bible says in verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. The preacher, what does that mean? He came back to take an account of what they had done in his absence. I was talking to someone on the telephone the other day. We were talking about the wickedness of the world. I told him in Sunday school, I don't know why we talk about that all the time. God's still good. The Lord's on the throne. Jesus is coming soon. But we do. I do. You do. We all. We talk about those things. And I made the comment to someone. I said, you know, I said, I, I don't know if I'm ready for the judgment seat, but I know I'm ready for the trumpet. Amen. I'm not saying I got everything done that I want to get done, but I, I'm sure longing for the Lord to return. But I have to reckon with this fact, with the trumpet, there comes a judgment seat. And one day, man, you and I, I mean, do you realize that? This is as real, this is probably more real than you and I sitting here today, that you are going to stand before God and give an account for what you've done with your life. You're going to have to look God in the eye and give Him an answer for what you did with today. Whether you did anything today for the Lord, you say, well, preacher, I've already done something. I've come to church. And listen, we'll pass out cookies and juice to everyone at the close of it just as a thank you. But let me remind you that going to church and and reading your Bible and praying, those are fundamental, paramount pillars of New Testament Christianity. But they are also just the baseline. If that's all we're doing, hey, we ain't doing much. You listening this morning? If all we're doing is come to church, we ain't doing much. If all we're doing is reading our Bible uh, two, three times a week or just kind of hitting a lick at it when it dawns on us, we ain't doing much. If we're just, listen, praying when we, uh, you know, are, are stuffing our face or have something going bad wrong, we, listen, we ain't doing much. I, and I'm saying that about me, just like I'm saying it about you this morning. Hey, I'm telling you, there's going to be a day when the Lord is coming back and He's going to reckon with the servants. He's going to ask us what we've done with our lives. You say, preacher, how does this apply to our lives? Well, I'm immediately reminded of a few New Testament passages that put this squarely in the backyard of you and of I. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, he said, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Hey, we were in darkness and God shined the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we know God in the face of Jesus. 
Paul then says this, but we have this treasure. What is the treasure he's speaking of? It's the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure. We have been entrusted with this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required, he said, in stewards that a man be found faithful. Peter would say it this way, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is a steward? A steward is a servant that's been entrusted with a resource and has a responsibility to produce a return for the master. We think of stewardship as merely holding a line, but Matthew 25 reveals to us that stewardship is not merely maintaining a status quo, but it's multiplying the treasures and talents and resources that the Lord has given us. I'm saying this this morning. When I read this passage, I see us in the same situation, having been blessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, having been blessed with a perfect Bible, having been blessed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, having been blessed with access to the throne room, having been blessed with the New Testament local church whom Christ loved and gave Himself for, I'm saying that we have much to be accountable for this morning. My question is, what are we going to do with it? We read about three individuals here. The Bible says there's a man that is given five talents. The Bible says he goes and he trades with that talent. And we don't understand everything that is implied in that, but I think it can be rightfully understood that he put that money to work. He took and, and he went and he might have spent a talent here to buy a little bit of this to turn around and sell it back to somebody else for a little more than what he gave. And he's taking that money and he's not just letting it sit. He is investing that money so that it might be used in a wise way. The Bible says when the Lord returns and sees him, this man delivers five talents. I want to know his investment broker. Somebody say amen to that. 100% return. Amen. And uh, he brings back and gives ten talents, the five original and the five new ones. Then there's a man with two talents. And he likewise goes, and the Bible says he trades with them. Now, because he started with less, he ends with less, but he ends with more than what he started with. In fact, percentage-wise, statistically, he does as good as the man that has five talents. Can I say this? You may not be as fantastic as somebody else, but you can be every bit as faithful as somebody else. You may not be able to do what other people can do, but you can do as much with what you can do as they can do with what they can do. And that's why when the Lord returns, it's a precious verse. He doesn't look at that five talents and look at that two talents and say, well, listen, buddy, why didn't you keep up with the Joneses? Instead, he looks at the man with the four talents and the man with the ten talents and says to both of them, well done, thou good. And what does he say? Faithful servant. He doesn't say thou good and lucrative servant. He says thou good and faithful servant. I'm of the firm conviction that if this man with one talent had taken this talent and went and traded with it and brought back two talents to the Lord, he would have heard the exact same thing. But unfortunately, this third man does what many of us do. The Bible says, verse 16, Then he that had received the five talents 
went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning, a funeral for your fruitfulness. wonder what that man was thinking when he took that money, dug a hole, and buried it there. I'll tell you this, when we read this passage of Scripture, there's three thoughts that I want to show to you this morning. The first of which is this, we see the entombing of the talent. Let me just make this passing statement. Listen, he viewed it as a bank vault, but God viewed it as a burial plot. He thought that he was holding the Lord's money, but the Bible says he was hiding the Lord's money. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if anybody's ever loved you enough to tell you, but you better go to heaven with more, with more than what you got up from Calvary with. So, preacher, are you talking about a better salvation, a more sure salvation? No, I'm talking about a good return on the master's investment. Can I tell you what a lot of people have done? They have distilled and reduced Christianity. They have corrupted and warped it to this concept of just being a state of existence. Now, let me tell you, I'm thankful. Listen, I'm saved whether I do anything like a saved person or not. I'm saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But don't you think for one moment that Bible Christianity is merely existing as a born-again individual. Rather, Bible Christianity is actively living a life devoted, uh, devoted to the stewardship of the resources of God. And you say, well, preacher, I, listen, I don't know what more you want. I got saved. I come to church sometimes. Yeah, I know. You've done this. You've given up on doing anything more for God. That's what this man did. Notice a few thoughts here with me. Notice number one, the place of the burial. The Bible says this, he that had received one went, and what did he do? He digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. That's an interesting phrase. I guess it makes sense. I don't know where you dig but the earth. But isn't it interesting, the deep connectiveness to the slumbering of his life and the earth in which he put it? Can I tell you why a lot of people ain't doing nothing for God? They've took everything God's done for them and buried it neck deep in this world. Too busy, too distracted, too too tied up and tangled up and yoked up with the responsibilities of this world. You say, preacher, this life has responsibilities. Yeah, so does the life to come. I know, listen, hey, God says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That if a man, uh, that, that if a man won't provide for his family, he's worse than infidel. He's denied the faith. Certainly the Bible calls upon us to do all things open and honest above all things before all men. The Bible commands us to not neglect our family responsibilities, our work responsibilities. But I'm just asking you this. Have you piled so much on that you ain't got no time for God anymore? If you have, here's what you've done. You've took all that He's given you. And you've had a funeral service for it. You've resigned yourself to the fact that you're going to get to heaven. I'm careful how I say this. Anybody that's saved by the grace of God is going to most assuredly go to heaven. Amen? I don't matter if you like that or not. Don't matter if you agree with that or not. That's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible says this. Paul, hey, prayed to one of those New Testament churches. He prayed for them that God would give them an abundant entrance into everlasting life. An abundant entrance. Some people, hey, most people are barely going to heaven. Barely going to heaven. You say, preacher, are they going to make it? If they're, if they're saved, of course they're going to make it. But they'll get there and they won't have a thing to show for a life that was supposed to have been lived for God. 
How does that happen? Well, for most people it happens because they take all that God's given them and bury it deep within the cold, hard, and unyielding clay of this world system. I'm telling you, listen, you're going to have to get your mind focused on the things of God and recognize that who you are in the eyes of this world is not the preeminent thing. And let me say it's a freeing thing. You'd be amazed how much peace of mind that you get when you recognize that this world that is rocking and reeling and boiling and rolling and getting ready to burn down to its very foundation is not your final home. It is not your... Hey, listen, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm looking for a country whose builder and maker is God. My life is not invested in this world. It's not to suggest we must live like paupers or transients. It's not to say that we can't enjoy the things God's blessed us with. But listen, there's a difference between enjoying those things and being ensnared by those things. We preached on it on Wednesday night. The psalmist said, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. You know why? Because it ain't worth nothing. It ain't going to be there very long. It ain't worth nothing. God's not against that happening. He just says, keep your heart right in the midst of. And all these various responsibilities that we have in this life... Let us not allow them to heap pile upon pile of dirt and clods of distractions upon the focus that God calls us to. I see the place of the barrel, but then I see the disgrace of the barrel. The Bible says this, he hid his Lord's money. I love the way that the Holy Ghost gives no quarter to this man here. He doesn't say he saved the Lord's money. You know why? Because the Lord has the ability to see to his own money. He doesn't, hey, listen, I, I, the, and it's funny how obsessed people get about financial and tangible things and, 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 and people really get the, the notion and the perspective that that really is the measure of who a person is. And we're just, I mean, the whole thing's just getting ready to fold up. You know that, right? I mean, it is. I, I, the whole thing, everything you thought was worth something is getting ready to be worth nothing. Hey, listen, I, and, and this man, here's what he did. Instead of taking the potential he instead took the tangible and he went and buried it. He thought he was holding it, but God said actually he was hiding it. What was he doing in this action? We can question the motives, the intentions, the sincerity of this man, but there's really no reason to because the Bible describes what he is. He is a wicked and slothful servant. He is both lurid and lazy. He is, he is both sinful and idle in the way that he lives. And here's what he was doing when he did this. You say, preacher, I don't understand why Christian, hey, listen, why is the, why is the bar always here? Why is the bar always here? I'm right here. Why is the bar always here? I get there and why is that bar always up there then? Can I tell you why it is? We press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The truth is, the Apostle Paul said, I've, I've not yet attained, neither were already perfect. I wouldn't dare to say it, and you shouldn't either. The truth is, we should always be pushing forward. If we don't, we've done what this man did. Notice three things. Number one, he gave up on the money's potential. Let me say it this way. He gave up on the idea of fruitfulness. He decided that money was always going to be what it was or less than what it was. This man was bereft of faith in the ability of this money to grow. Now, again, if you still think we're talking about dollars and cents and zeros in your bank account, you've missed it. I'm talking about the resources of your life, your time, your testimony, your talents in the sense of your abilities. I'm talking about how you invest the energy of your life. And some people have made their mind up that, listen, uh, Paul wasn't already perfect, but they was the moment they got up from the altar. 
And that was the last bit of relationship with God that they needed to have. Here's what this man did. He said, this is never going to be more than what it is. But the master expects it to be more than what it is. And the master will enable it to be more than what it is. Man, let me just share my personal testimony. I don't belong here. Now, I can generally say that in any room I'm in. But what I mean is there are literally, you could almost throw a rock out the door and find somebody better suited to be doing what I'm doing than I am. There's nothing about me or my life or my personality. I mean, I, listen, I offend at least three times as many people as learn to like me. I don't belong in this place. But God has done some incredible things by His glory for His praise through His strength and His ability beyond what I could do. But He took it and has done with my life and my time and undoubtedly yours as well things beyond the scope of our imagining. I'll tell you who God can't use and that's the man that's given up on God using him in the first place. He won't force you. He won't drag you. You have to be willing to have faith that God can use your life. He gave up on the money's potential. Notice number two, he gave up on the master's plan. See, here's the reality of it. You don't always have to have God's plan figured out. I'm going to save you a lot of time. You ready? And a lot of headache. You're not always going to understand what God's doing. You don't have to. I know you think you do. I know you are deeply scandalized that God didn't bring you in for consultation on His plan for your life. But the truth is, you don't have to know all these things. You just have to know what your responsibility is. Here's what this servant should have said. He should have gone out and said, I don't see how I can make anything from it. But the Master has told me to do so. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. Maybe the master knows more than I do. But I trust that he knows what is best. And I'm willing to go out and just for no other reason, out of simple obedience, I will go out and invest this resource. I don't know what the mind frame was of the other two men. And if we're being frank, this is a parable. These are, it's not a literal story. But certainly we can surmise from this man's response that he had decided the master didn't know what he's talking about. That it was a bad idea to take this money out and go put it in the market and invest it and try to do things with it. That the master was foolish, that he was reckless, that he was nearsighted, and that there was no way that this was going to work. You know, most of God's plans, there's no way they're going to work. But the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, where there's no way, he makes a way. God don't need a way. He just he just makes ways. That's what he does. You understand that, right? I mean, you understand I, the, 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 the plan to conquer Jericho. Let's just one, one example, just one. Read your Bible. There's a million of them. Just one. We're going to walk around this city and we're just going to hush and we're just going to walk around this city. It's kind of like, do you ever play a silent game with your kids? Maybe God was just tired of hearing a racket. <laughs> And he says, we're just going to walk around and we're just going to hush. Everybody's just going to be quiet. And we're going to march around this thing. And then we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to shout. And there was literally zero way in which that would work. Until God reached his, he- his foot down from heaven and kicked the wall over. 
And then all of a sudden, there was a way when there hadn't been a way. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? What are you getting to? I'm saying this. You don't have to understand everything God's doing. You just have to understand what is your responsibility. A lot of people have given up living for Christ because they don't believe God is competent enough to know what he's doing in their life. Let's say it this way. He gave up on the money's potential, fruitfulness. Number two, he gave up on the master's plan, faithfulness. If for no other reason, just because you're a servant and you should be faithful, that should be enough. But then notice a third thing. Bible says this, he gave up on the master's promise. It's interesting. He says this when he meets his master. He, he says, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. In other words, he's saying, I know that you are a demanding, exacting master and that you would expect more than what you gave us, which is a terrible excuse to go bury the money that he had. And so the Lord calls him on that. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Now, this is interesting. He says, as a bad excuse, I did not invest this money because I was afraid I would lose it. And I know you want more than what you gave me. The Lord replies and says, yes, I do expect more than what I've given you. And that, in fact, is the very reason that you should have went and invested that money. You know what that implies? This man, though he says he knew that the Lord was a severe, that the Lord was a demanding uh, master, he didn't really believe he was ever going to have to answer for it anyway. I don't know what this man's plan would have been. I don't know if he was giving a period of time for the Lord to return and then he was going to go dig it up, spend it on himself. I, I don't know what he was going to do. I just know if he really believed what he said and if he really believed what the master said, then the last thing he would have done is buried what his master had entrusted him with. And, you know, we do the same thing. Every service we say, the Lord's coming back. I believe that. That's not just a thing we say. It's not just a chant or a recitation or a catechism. That's a biblical truth that I believe and I trust you believe it. But now, wait a minute. As we said a moment ago, there's not only a trumpet coming, there's a judgment seat coming. So what should that just... I'm just being logical this morning. I know you ain't heard no one do that in a while. I'm just being rational. Wouldn't you think that would cause us to get busy for Christ? See, here's the truth. This man had given up believing the master was ever going to return. He thought the master was never going to come back. He thought he was never. And probably he fundamentally knew it in his head. But somewhere between his head and his hands, there was a disconnect. And this I see is one of the chief problems in churches today. We know it up here. But somewhere between here and here, we lose sight of it. We know it as a concept, as a principle, but it doesn't drive and energize our life. When I read this passage, I see the entombing of the money, of the talent. But then notice number two, the excuses of the servant. Verse 24, verse 25. The Bible says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not straw. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. Can I give you a piece of wisdom? 
Listen to what people say. They'll tell you what's going on in their head and heart. I say this all the time about the radical left, God-hating country. I say this about those people all the time. If you listen to what they say, they will tell you what they are doing. Their hubris will demand, their pride will demand it of them. They'll tell you exactly what they think about you and about what's going on. I saw the other day where the White House press secretary got up and she was reading from her binder, which that's a weird job. Man, wouldn't that be a great job? Just get up and read nonsense from a binder. That's your job. You literally can't do it wrong. They find a way. And she got up and she started reading through this binder and she came to a place and she said, you know, the latest proposal by President Obama. And then she just stopped. And she went, uh, <laughs> I mean, Biden, President Biden. And I thought that was weird because she's reading. How do you misspeak something when you're reading? Whatever. People will tell you. You listen. People will tell you. And this man, he actually, somewhere within here, he tells what his real reasons were. You see, he said, well, you know, I was afraid. He said, well, I just wasn't sure I could do anything with it. But in all of this, there are several tones that strike to my attention. And let me just say this. When we bury our resources, when we give up on serving God, when we decide that enough's enough, we've done enough, we've went enough, we've given enough, we've served enough, when we do that, here's really what we're saying. Number one, this was his first excuse that the master is severe. He says an interesting thing. Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. That's a funny thing to say. Of course, in the parable, the master here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he's a hard man. He's not a hard man. He's not. He's a loving master. Hey, listen, man. You, you listen. You go down to to, to the to them to them rough neighborhoods of the far country, and you go listen. You go climb in the hog pen, and you let the citizen of those countries be your master. You'll find out what a hard man is. You let the devil govern your life for a little while. Listen. Let him hold the whip. You'll find out what a hard man is. You'll find out what a hard master is. I'll take you with me sometime. We'll go down. Listen, we'll walk some of those floors down at UT Hospital or Fort Sanders Park West. We'll walk some of those hospitals and visit some of those people whose livers have been drunk to oblivion, whose lungs have been clouded to oblivion, people whose lives are in wreckage, whose bodies have been degraded and deformed and, and destroyed by sexual diseases. And We can go down and talk to those people and you can see what kind of a master the devil is. He's a hard man. But the Lord Jesus, He's not a hard man. And here's what happens when we say enough's enough. What we're really saying is, Lord, enough of you is enough. We're really saying, Lord, you're being an awful hard master upon me. I was saying this morning, I got out of the car and uh, the Glets were walking in. And I like the Glets. And uh, I, I turned and I said, good morning, Nick. And Nick said, good morning, Toby. He said, how are you? And I said, well, I can't complain. And the Lord smote my heart when I said that. And I thought, if that's the best I got to say, I ought to hush. What a sad... And, you know, we just say that. I mean, I understand. That's just a turn of phrase. Oh, man, I'm thankful people don't take anything we say seriously. God help us. And I, I but, but I thought to myself, if that's the best I've got to say, man, shame on me. 
Here I woke up today, beautiful family, wonderful home, amazing church, good health, relatively speaking, come into the house of God, have liberty to preach, hear people sing and worship and rejoice. And the best I've got to say is I ain't got nothing to complain about. Hey, I got a lot to praise about. And when we say, Lord, it's enough, what we're really saying is you're just too hard of a master. But I got to listen. Let me raise my hand to heaven and say he's not a hard man. He's a precious master. He's not made things hard on me. I've sure made things hard on me. Other people have, but he's never made things hard. Hey, his his yoke is easy. His burdens light. Hey, man. I mean, listen. I, but when we when we give up, we're saying the master's severe. Let me say a second thing. He says this: Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not straw. That's interesting. He's going to come back and he's going to reap a harvest that he's not sown. He's going to come out and he's going to, he's going to gather wheat, but he's not strawed. In other words, here's what he was saying. He was saying not only that the master is severe, but he was saying that the ministry is strenuous. He was saying it's just too high of a standard that you've set, Lord. It's just too hard. It's just too much. I cannot bear it. But here's the funny thing. New Testament truth, the Bible says this. One planteth, another watereth. But God giveth the increase. Say, preacher, he's not here. No, but he's the Lord of the harvest. And he's the one that makes the investment of our life to abound unto his glory. He's the one that multiplies it. I mean, you understand that. You understand What He's asking of you is to be a vessel and a conduit for His working. He doesn't say, hey, make it grow. He just says, at least plant it so that I can make it grow. He doesn't say, hey, go out there and wave a wand and work a miracle. He says, put yourself at my disposal and I'll work the miracle. But you see, when we give up, what we're really saying is that the ministry is strenuous. And then there's there's another thing. I, verse 25, he says this, I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. It's an interesting way to say that. He goes and he says, Lord, I was afraid, so I just went and I took and buried it. And everything that belongs to you is there in safekeeping. That's a wrong perspective. Because the Lord didn't just own what He gave him. The Lord owned what He would have grown from what He gave him. You see, whenever those men delivered up the extra five talents, the extra two talents, they weren't giving that as a gift. They were reckoning with their Master. It belonged to Him. It came from His boon, His blessings, His resources, His benefits. And when this man looks at the Lord and says, everything that belongs to you is buried in that hole, he's missing that God owns more than just what he gave him. I would say it this way. Here's what he he declared by giving up. He declared that maintaining was sufficient. That the Lord was not owed any more than just merely to return what had been granted and given to him. I'll tell you the honest truth. If you'll listen to it, I will tell you. Most of us have quit trying because we think that's enough. The standard of Christianity has been so degraded and lowered in society today 
that we, listen, we think if we make three services in a month, we've, we're really a superstar Christian. We think if we've read our Bible a quarter of the way through, I mean, we have really, really just done an extraordinary feat. And I'm not trying to be cynical, man. I praise the Lord for everything that all the people in this room do for the Lord. But I'm just telling you this. Listen, I can get up here and be your buddy and, and tell you that however low of a bar you set, it's a glorious thing if you reach it. But the truth of the matter is this. A lot of us have just yielded to a system of mediocrity. We, it's, it's, it's social media Christianity. It's just what it, the veneer is enough. Can I tell you this? Hey, the veneer won't hold when things get difficult. And the Lord is owed more than just the most basic of lip service. One of the great condemnations the Lord made of Israel of old was that with their lips they serve me, but their hearts are far from me. And we want to say, but Lord, my lips are serving you. Here's some lost, unregenerate, reprobate, godless pagan, and they ain't praising you. Well, of course they're not. But that's not who you are. You've been saved by the grace of God. And how dare we set as the bar of our life the behavior of the most unrepentant, godless reprobates in society. He said, well, it's just enough just to maintain. No, no, maintaining is not enough. I will tell you a truth that you will learn either here this morning or at the judgment seat of Christ. When you stand at like a calf staring at a new gate and can't figure out why your life was a disappointment to God, I will go ahead and serve notice on me first of all and you as well this morning. God expects more than just for us to maintain. He expects us to multiply. The blessings of God, the resources and richness of God. As Peter says, the manifold grace of God. And so we ought to do more than just maintaining. When I read this passage, I notice the entombing of the talent, the excuses of the servant, but it doesn't end there. I want you to notice the examination of the master. There's three things that we note. Verse 26 and 27. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Now, he probably thought he was a good servant up till that point. You listen to me? He probably thought he was a good servant up till that point. He probably thought he had done pretty well up till that point. What a shocking truth that is. You know, there's going to be people that stand before God one day and say, Lord, Lord, we've cast out devils in your name. We've healed people in your name. We, 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 we've preached in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. This guy, he thought he was doing pretty good up till this moment. When the Lord says, thou wicked and slothful servant, he says, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money, notice the emphasis, my, not your money, my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Notice, number one, he rebuked the servant. He didn't pat him on the back. Now, by the way, to the man that took the two and multiplied it and provided another two, he got a well done. But this guy got a wicked and slothful. And it wasn't because he couldn't give five talents or ten talents. It's because he didn't try at all. I told you at the beginning of the service, man, I'm glad we're measured by our input, not our output. I'll tell you right now, if we're measured by output, I, I am, and I don't mean to denigrate our wonderful church, but by the world's standards, I'd be an abject failure. 
And there's a lot of people in ministry today that have that perspective. That it's not what sort it is, it's what size it is. And if you can just pack them in and cram them in with whatever godless pagan practices that you can find, that's sufficient because you've got a crowd and you've done a thing. But I'll tell you this, hey, listen, I'm glad we're not measured by our output. But you better believe we are measured by our input. What you put into it. He rebuked the servant. Notice number two, he relieved the servant. Now, some of these things begin to deal with things regarding Israel as a nation and and their place, but I think there's still an application here. The Bible says this, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Boy, there's a lot of things going on here. Notice number one, it says that take the one from the man that only had the one and give it to the man that had the five. Now, this is interesting because they've already reckoned that account. So that talent is not being given unto the Lord, the master. That talent is actually being taken and given to the man that wisely invested his money and his talent. Let me just make this application, man. I'm glad to know God blesses his people for their faithfulness. He blesses his people for their faithfulness. And by the way, the and man, this comforts my heart. It does. The and, and and how do I say this right? Lord, help me to say it the way that it ought to be said. People come into a church and they walk an aisle. I was talking to a preacher friend about this the other day. And people come down, they walk an aisle. You take a Bible, you show them how to be saved, give them clear scriptural instruction, pray with them. They profess faith in Jesus Christ. I've seen that happen untold times. And some of them stick in, and some of them don't. I'm going to say that again. Some of them stick in, some of them don't. If anybody thinks they have the concrete ironclad answer as to why that is, aside from just people being people, I'd love for you to let me and every other preacher walking God's green earth know. It's just the truth of it. Sometimes it can weigh on you. You can think, did I do my part? Was I faithful? Was I responsible? It's interesting, this man that had, but had done nothing with it, loses what he had. But the man that did something with what he had, he still gets to claim what the other man had so poorly used, neglected, and abused. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this, you aren't accountable for how they turn out. But you are accountable for you doing your part. You say, preacher, one of these days I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to find out that a bunch of them that I led to the Lord, quote unquote, didn't really get saved. That's likely true. And you know what? God will still honor and bless every single effort that you've ever put in. When I read this passage, I I notice a principle here, and it is simply this. Nobody stays static. We either take what we've gotten and multiply it, or it diminishes. Now, let me make a very clear statement. Because the context of this whole passage is not regarding the salvation of your soul. But rather, it's speaking of what you do with the life that God has blessed you with. And so we're not suggesting when he says, take it away from that man, that he's saying, take away his salvation. Because none of the entire context of this passage has had anything to do with that. Rather, he's talking about the resources and blessings that God bestows upon us. 
The world's picked up on this. You know what they call it? Use it or lose it. And I will tell you this. You'd be amazed if you'll just keep going for God, what God can do with your life. You'll be amazed if you quit on Him, how hard you quit. You know why? Because none of us stay static. He said, I'll just maintain, but none of us maintain. Listen, we either multiply or we diminish. So here's what he did. He relieved that servant. He said, I obviously cannot trust you with this. I'll give it to somebody that will do something with it. I hope in my life I never take for granted the opportunity. And I know I'm guilty of it. I'll admit to you, man, I know, I know that I know that I know that I'm guilty of it. And it's just the sure mercies of God that hasn't stripped away from me every sphere of influence and opportunity that I have. But by the grace of God, I want to recognize that those things that God has given me are a responsibility, a stewardship, a trust that has been committed to my care. And if I'm not careful, I'll lose that open door if I don't do something with it. I see this on a small level. I don't know how many times. And you have too if you're in a practice giving out tracts. You ever stood at a gas pump and argued with the Holy Ghost just long enough to watch someone pull away? And then thought to yourself, that man might have drove off into hell and now I can't reach him. You had an opportunity. You waited and it left you. I hope my prayer is that God didn't point that man's car towards that broad way to destruction, but that he pointed it towards another soul winner with a gospel track. And I wouldn't be surprised. That's exactly the kind of thing God would do. You know why? He takes from him that hath not and gives to him that hath. There's a final thing I see here. Notice it in verse 30. He says this, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's extreme. (laughs) It seems like a bold verse, doesn't it? Well, it's dealing again with the concept of Israel as a people and their willingness and to receive the gospel witness. And and again, the gospel went to the Jew first, then to the Greek. And certainly it's true that Israel is a nation in as much as they reject the gospel of Christ. They'll die and go to hell just like a Gentile would. Just like you or I would. (laughs) Just, Just like anybody would. But there is a truth here that I want you to notice. He didn't cast the servant out because he hated him. He cast the servant out because if he wasn't going to serve, he wasn't a very good servant. Calls him an unprofitable servant. What good? You're just a mouth to feed if you ain't going to do something for me. I tell my kids that all the time. Make them earn their way. That's how the world's going to do them. And... uh, You know, I would simply say this in our life. What he's doing here is he's saying, what you did is unacceptable. I reject it wholesale. I've told you this before, but I've often, and I don't know why, sanctified imagination, whatever you want to call it, but in my mind, I've always pictured this scene of standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and and seeing my life, and I'm not saying it's going to be this way, but I've just always kind of imagined seeing my life summarized as a calendar. When you're in ministry, your life is a calendar. That's what it is. And seeing my whole life just summarized as as just a calendar. And I've always imagined as we went through day by day and examined moment by moment, the Lord taking out a big old Sharpie, big old marker, and just crossing out days. 
and asking him, Lord, that's a day, that's a Sunday. I went to church that I know I went to church. I remember the sermon I preached. And him say, well, you did, son, but she's in the flesh that day. And you had a bad spirit all day long. Lord, that, that was a Wednesday night. I, I remember being in church. I remember preaching to your people. I know that I served you on that day. And him saying, yeah, yeah, you did, but you, your heart was lifted up in pride. You weren't doing it for me. He was doing it for you. Moment by moment, looking through my life and just wondering, the Bible says this, and this is biblical, the day shall declare it as by fire. God's going to strike a match to our life and see what survives the burn. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to go up in flames. And the gold, silver, and precious stones, they'll survive. And I will just tell you that our life, if all we're doing is the bare minimum, that's not enough. It's not enough. And we can say it's enough. And we can surround ourselves with people that clap for us and declare that it's enough. And people that enter this unholy covenant where if, if we ignore their apathy, they'll ignore our apathy and we'll all pretend like everything's fine. We can do all those things. But there's coming a judgment seat. There's coming a day the Master's going to return and reckon with His servants. And I just wonder if in your life you have buried your fruitfulness, forfeit your opportunity, forsaken your potential for Christ, given up on the Master's plan and just said, you know what, I'll just run out the clock. I'll just ride it out. I don't want you to do that. I don't want me to do that. And I'm glad to report to you today we don't have to do it. Preacher, I don't know if I'm able. The Lord knows, and He gives to every man according to His several ability. You are able. Lord, I don't know if I could accomplish. You can. You can. Because it's not you that does it. He just needs you to plant, and He just needs you to water, and He'll give the increase. But the question is this. Are you willing to see your life increase for the glory of God and to do more for Him? Let's bow together this morning. The altar is open. It really never closes. But I want you to know you don't have to wait for a note to be played on the piano. You don't have to wait for anything to occur to happen. You right now have an opportunity. And it'd be good that you did it sooner rather than later before you lose your nerve. Just be honest. Before your flesh bullies you. Won't you slip out of your seat and come down and find a place at this altar? We ought to reckon with ourselves. Because one day he's going to reckon with us. I want you to move if the Lord's dealt with you. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His precious name.